our help in ages past and our hope in ages to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Time like an ever rolling stream bears all its sons away. They're all forgotten as a dream. But Lord, you are from everlasting to everlasting. And this morning, O oh Lord, we just want to acknowledge, O oh Lord, that you are God who's absolutely in control of every situation in our lives. Oh Lord, we just want to thank you this morning, O oh Lord. We thank you. We thank you. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, that you are God and there is no other. Oh Lord, this morning we just come to you. We humbly beseech you that you would speak to us this morning. We have come to your house, O oh Lord, even to take part, O oh Lord, Father, of the Lord's table. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would prepare our hearts, that we will prepare ourselves, we will examine ourselves, and, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts even as we meditate upon your word. Speak to us, O oh Lord. Grant us hearing, hearing ears, O oh Lord, willing hearts to obey. Lord, give us concentration. Give us discernment. Have mercy, have mercy, O oh Lord, this morning on each one of us. Have mercy upon me even as I speak. Have mercy upon us even as we hear. O Lord, anoint us afresh. We don't presume upon your presence, upon your goodness, O Lord. We beseech that you would, Lord, come and speak to our hearts and anoint us. And Lord, that you would, Lord, make your word real in our lives. And it will become part of our inner man, the truth that you have for us this morning. And therefore, I pray, Lord, you would bless the speaking and the hearing of this word. Come at this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, last uh, Sunday we were looking at Simon Peter. And uh, just look at one verse before we uh, go into the meat of the message. Satan is asking permission. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Not just Simon Peter, but all of you. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And we, and we saw how incredibly merciful the Lord is that he has never given upon Simon Peter and he, and he restores him. Thank God for his mercy. And we heard and we learned the three steps of drifting away from the Lord and the three steps of coming back to the Lord. I just wanted to Expand upon that. I want, us, I want us to look at the fact that God is the one who proves, allows testing to come in our lives. Allows Satan. He doesn't tempt us, but he allows testing. To prove us. To crush us. To take away our confidence in our own strength, in our own abilities, in our own talents. Everything that we put our trust in, God wants to shatter that. Uh, heard a, a saying by A.W. Tozer, look at what he says. He says, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You see, that's remarkable, isn't it? Until God hurts us deeply, he will not bless us greatly. Look at another man. He says, I don't easily trust men who don't walk with a limp. <laughs> who walked with a limp? Shake up, you see. And he says, I don't trust people easily, especially people who are so confident in their own strengths. 
And if they're not walking with a limp boy, <laughs> I don't want to be around them. Because they're so sure. They've got all figured out. They've put everything together. God has to test us. God has to prove us. And therefore today I've titled my message. Examine. Prove. No. Three steps. See the threes, right? We are in the third month. Last Sunday of uh, the previous one, we looked at the three steps away from God and the three steps towards God. And we look at threes. I mean, the Bible is full of threes, by the way. Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Word, Jesus, and the Spirit. You see, the Bible is full of threes. And one of the threes that I want to look at is examine, prove, and know. And traditionally, by the by, if you know the mainline calendar, we are in the month of Lent, where people are on a 40-day fast, and are f- some forced, some religious, uh, and, and some really, really from the bottom of their hearts, they do it. I mean, it's good if you are doing it. It's, it's nothing wrong there. And subjecting themselves to a personal examination. And we want, I want to look at a particular verse uh, in the Bible from which I get this title and we know this verse very well. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. Remember this verse very well? Yeah. Examine yourselves. Okay. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Okay. Know ye not your own selves, how Christ is in you, except you be reprobates or disqualified. You see the three things coming here. Examine, prove, no. Three steps. Just to get a flavor as to what's going on, let's look at a few other translations to get an understanding of what this picture is all about. Second, uh, This is in the NIV translation. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Okay, it's a constant thing because in the last days many will fall away from the faith. There will be an incredible apostasy coming. Do you not realize, test yourselves uh, in our school what we call as a self-test before they take the final exam. Every student has to take the self-test. So test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless of course you fail the test? That is an IV, another place. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So what are the three steps? First, examine myself, not my neighbor, not my wife, not my children, not my boss, not my pastor, myself. That's what we call as a self-test. Then prove myself. That's a very interesting word. No, there's a there's a there's a word in the Greek which we, from which we get the word document. It's dokimos. Okay, dokimazo to prove. I'll tell you where this is used. In the earlier days when they used to make vessels and of clay or or even of gold, what they would do is they would put the whole vessel through fire, and if if it came through fire, the maker or the potter would put a seal underneath the vessel, and he would say dokimos. Meaning, tested, proved. Document from which you get the word document, the results, no? Examine yourself, prove yourself. In other words, do a self-examination and if you have a piece of paper, you know, document the results and then know yourself. And what should be the end result of this? To see if you find who? Jesus there. Where? 
inside of us. The three steps. Three steps. Examine myself, prove myself, know myself. And if I see Jesus, then I'm, just not, I'm not disqualified. And in some measure, not that we will completely come to maturity. No, at least in some measure. And growing, hopefully. And, and let me tell you something. God is not in a hurry. Okay? God is not in a hurry. We may be in a hurry, but God is working at His time. You see, C.S. Lewis made a very fantastic statement. He said, it is easy to please God, but very hard to satisfy Him. It's a powerful statement. It is easy to please God, but very hard to satisfy Him. When He created the word, He said, He spoke the things and He said, let there be light. And then he says, he says, when he saw the light, he examined the light. Okay, it's good. And then he separated the light from darkness and he said, good. Examined. He examines his own work and then he goes to the second day. He doesn't say anything about it. Third day, he creates something. He says, examines. He says, okay, good. And then he goes to the fourth day, examines. And he says, good. And the fifth day and the sixth day until he creates man. And after that, he finishes everything. He says, very good. Unless every part is good, he would not declare the end product as good. Very good. And God is a God of detail. He sees, and, and let me tell you honestly, if you are a Christian and if you're a genuine, genuine believer and you really want to worship God truly from the bottom of your heart, He will allow you to be subjected to every test possible to prove you. To test you. Easy to please. Hard to satisfy and he's not in a hurry. I remember when I was in uh, university, uh, some chemistry students over here, right? How many of you did titration? Pharmacy students would know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, there you go. Titration. I'll tell you what titration is, okay? You, you want to examine a, uh, the amount of that, that basically it was to examine the amount of gold or pure gold in a particular matter. They would do what we call as a titration. So how would they do it? They would take the, uh, the, the thing which they want to examine, they put it in a flask and they'll put some kind of an alkali, sodium hydroxide, NaOH, okay? And then they'll start doing the titration. After a while, the ch- color of that material changes to know that there, there is that particular material that you're looking for. And it's, and the, and the change is very minute. And what this guy is supposed to do is, at that time, you stop pouring and slowly take a spipet and drop by drop, drop by drop. He has to let that uh, testing liquid to go into that, the thing which is being tested and, until the whole thing turns to show that that particular metal is there. You know, I was in my chemistry lab and most of the time, the lab instructor knows better. You know, the lab test, lab instructor, you know the lab instructor, right? The guy who helps us with our burets and our pipettes and our circuits, that fellow knows better. The professor will say, you do this and you will get the result. So, and we are in a hurry, we want to finish everything. So what do you do? You put the alkali, and you put that material and then you take the alkali in the burette and you start pouring. And before you know, you miss that point and you never, never even test it. And my lab instructor used to, used to come, and, come and say, why are you pouring, 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 pouring? I mean, he's in his own English. Pouring, 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 pouring. Pour, pour, and pour. Unless you do that, you will not find that particular metal in that mixture. But we know we are in a hurry. 
You want to change God? Today I want to finish everything. God says, hang on. Slow process, please. It's going to take a while. 40 years in the wilderness, 20 years, it depends upon the kind of guy you are. The more stubborn you are, the stronger and the longer the test will be. Okay, God is not in a hurry. Can you say all this? I'll say that please. God is not in a hurry. See, because when you are young, especially, I want to be in the mission field, I want to finish this, I want to finish that. Hold on. Hang in there, please. Okay. Take it easy. Take a deep breath, etc. You see, God is not in a hurry. Therefore, he's going, he has to prove us. He has to test us. And, then, and let's, therefore, we look at certain tests in the Bible to see how we can know how we are being tested and to see whether Christ is really there in us. But first of all, before we go there, we want to see why the test. Okay. There's one man who was tested like crazy in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. What's his name? Ah, everybody knows Job. Okay, look at what he says. This guy is going nuts. He's going through this intense trial and this is what he has to cry out. He says, Job chapter 7 verses 17 to 19. What is man that you magnify him, Lord? <laughs> and you are concerned about him. And you, when you read this verse and you say, oh, God is concerned about me. But read the next two verses. You know why, why he is upset. I'm not upset. He's like crying out. He says, that you examine him, test him every morning and try him every moment. Do you know that God is testing you even now, even as you sit in the house of God? He comes to examine you. It's a revelation. And he's like, Lord, why do you test me every moment? And look at this. Lord, the next verse he says, actually he says, give me a break. Look at what he says. Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spit? Lord, can you just give me a break, please? You are always looking at me. What is this? Just, 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 just take, take care of Pastor James for a while. Okay, just let me go. Or take, take care of somebody else. Let me go. Just, just take your eyes away. Give me a break. I, I, I think I mentioned this sometime back. Uh, this uh, grandson goes to his grandfather and he says, why does Jesus always look at me? Grandfather, 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 why is he saying? Be careful, little eyes, what do you see? Why? Because your father, a boy, is looking. Why is he? Why is he just, is he, does he not have any more children? And our grandfather is a very wise man and he says, he says, honey, Jesus loves you so much that he can't take his eyes off you. That's the answer from the grandfather. But what do you want? Do you say, Lord, Lord, why me? How many of you say that, Lord? <laughs> Lord, why am I going through this, Lord? Why me? Why me? Why me? I remember this uh, story told by about this guy who was uh, going in the New York subway. Okay. New York subway, by the way, is not like Hyderabad subway. When you compare Hyderabad that subway and New York subway, it's a bailgadi. Okay. New York subway, once you get in, it's zooming at almost 90 miles per hour sometimes. So this guy, <laughs> uh, he eats something in the afternoon in his office and it gives him a ups- stomach upset and he has to go home. So he gets into the subway 
And during rush hour, tell, uh, let me tell you, New York subways are packed. I, I've been to all these subways. I've been to Montreal subway, to Toronto subway, New York subway, Chicago subway, Frisco subway. And I found New York subway one of the most crowdest and the dirtiest. So this guy is uh, going, just as during rush hour, is going back home. So he stands in the line, it's packed uh, station, and he's in the last. So what happens? The train comes, the doors open, he goes, and he stands, squeezing himself to the door, and the door just... Closes like that, okay? If you've been in the metro, you know what I'm talking about. And then, he's already having a stomach upset. He also has motion sickness. And he had a lunch. It's not digested. And this is going at 90 miles an hour. It's going 90 miles an hour. And it's starting to churn in his stomach. The train goes and it goes and stops at the next packed railway station. And then this guy was ready to get into the get into the subway and this fellow can't hold it anymore and the door opens he just vomits the whole thing and he's this entire lunch is emptied onto the fellow's face two seconds the door closes back in 90 miles per hour and the guy is shocked and you know what he says why me lord Lord, <laughs> why of all the people I should be the first? And look at the, it's a coincidence or what? It's as if you planned this whole thing that this fellow has to empty his lunch onto my face. You see? And that's exactly how Job is feeling. Lord, why me, Lord? Why testing me, Lord? <clears throat> why the test? Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. You'll get the idea. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, isn't it interesting? I just want to stop here. And Derek Prince gives a fantastic uh, uh, exposition over here. He says, those angels are the sons of God are the angels. They have come to present themselves to the Lord. And Satan also came along with them. And the fact of the matter is, none of the sons of God recognize Satan. I mean, he's like the angel of light, right? I mean, nobody recognizes that. That's how he comes, sneaky. He's sneaky all the time. Okay? That which is crooked cannot be made straight. Then the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered like a railway man, up and down, to and fro. Up train, down train. That's exactly what, that is a description of Satan. That is a description of people who have no other work but to be busy about other people's matters. Up and down, to and fro. And then he asked this question. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, Job has no idea what's going on in the cosmic realm. It's a cosmic experiment that is going on and he is the guinea pig. And you will many times be the guinea pig. You know, we, every time we have a new course in a university, we test the first batch. <laughs> and the first batch is the guinea pig. Oh, somebody is laughing. They know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, that's exactly what's going on. Job is completely oblivious 
to the drama in the cosmic realm. And let me tell you honestly, there is a war going on in the cosmic realm over each one of you. That's the reason my pastor was talking about the minds being blinded. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Other translations will use this word. We do not wrestle with persons with bodies. There's a cosmic battle that is going on for every soul. If you have come to the Lord to destroy your destiny and if you have not come to the Lord to stop you to coming, to coming from the Lord. That is the reason why it says the God of this world has blinded the eyes and that is the reason why pastors encouraging sisters especially to pray for the next generation. Completely oblivious. And God says, do you see my guy there? My, my boy, my boy, my Job. I like that, no? You see my Job? Whenever Sister Elsa sees Eric, she says, my Eric. You see, that's what, that's the endearment you get, you know, that's a picture. You see my, my Job over here? How he, there's none like him on the earth. Boy, he's doing a comparative analysis here. Blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil and, and say, yeah, 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 I know. Does he fear you for nothing? You know, whenever I hear people, I want to, when people talk something about somebody else, I want to hear them very closely. Okay. First, there's a neutral statement. And then there's a negative statement. Pastor was talking about Mephibosheth. Can I, can you find me some guy from the house of Jonathan to whom I can show favor? Ziba says, ah, there is a guy, his name is Mephibosheth, but he is lame. You see. But he is this. But his English is not good. He's not very educated. He's not cultured. What have you? See, I know a guy has no envy or jealousy when he's absolutely from the heart able to speak positive things about somebody else. From his heart, not just to show off. Alright, so does Joe fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you to the face. And you know the story. This drama which is unfolding. Test after test after test after test after test. And Job is crying out and he's saying, God's going on Lord. But in the middle of it all, he recognizes something is going on. You know what he says? In Job chapter 7 verse 8. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall, what? Come forth as gold. Now tell me something, saints. Do you have the confidence today? That if God were to test you, that you will come forth as gold. Forget about, I mean, I don't think many of us will go through the kind of testing that Job was subjected to. I mean, God was showing the worst case scenario, in other words. 
But in our little, little, little sufferings, if God were to put you through a real, real, real testing, do you have the confidence and say, Lord, you test me, test me. I'll come forth as gold. Do you have the confidence? And you know, that is the reason why we come to the, come to, uh, to the ministry of the word of God to constantly be washed by the water of the word and to align our lives with the truth of the word of God so that one day we will not be ashamed. And you'll say, Lord, I'm ready, Lord, for the next test. I'm ready. The Lord knows when you are ready. And God is not, don't, don't, don't be scared about surrender, surrendering that way. Let me tell you honestly, God will never allow the level of testing to be more than your ability to be, to withstand it. That's what it says in 1st Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 10. So don't worry about surrendering, no? What will the worst case happen? You'll die. To be absent with the Lord is to be, you see, you, you know what, in, in, in Telugu it's called teginche, you have completely sold yourself to God. Okay. Then he says, I have kept his way and I have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than from necessary food. Boy, this is the confidence. This is confidence, saints. Think about it. If a man in the old covenant Who's ranked among the top three? Moses, Daniel, Job. Am I right? Job, Daniel, Moses, yeah. Three more, the most righteous men in the, in the, in the Bible. This guy, if he can have this kind of a confidence, how much more you and I in the old, in the new covenant? If the greatest among the old covenant saints is John the Baptist. And then God says, the least in the kingdom of heaven has got the capacity to be powerful, uh, to be, to be, to be greater than John the, John the Baptist. How much more? How much more you and I? So, that is a test to see if he will really, really adhere to his commandments. That is the reason why neither circumcision matters, nor uncircumcision matters. Faith expressing itself through love. In another place, 1st Corinthians chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. Neither circumcision matters, or uncircumcision matters, but keeping of the commandment of God. You see? So that is the reason why we go to a test. This is the same, this is confirmed in the New Testament by Peter and, and James. First Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Okay. And again, First Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire. See, your faith everywhere, every time, has to be tested, so that we have the assurance. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith, the same word, dokimos, to, to prove, to see whether God is really, really, your, your, has, has approved you. That's what Paul will tell Timothy. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking what? Nothing. 
Okay? Lacking perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. The picture is hang in there. You're going through a test? Hang in there. Okay? So we'll look at, in order to prove and to test ourselves, we'll look at a particular Old Testament character. And we will go through his life, not in detail, but excerpts from his life. And we will do one thing. What will we, what shall we do? First we'll do examination, testing, documentation, and result. Got it? What will you do, everybody? Examination, documentation, result. Who's the character that I want to look at? Any, any guesses? Let's see. Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, everybody in Hebrews chapter 11 was tested. So, but I'm looking at only one character today. Different excerpts from his life. Detail. I'm not looking at Abel. I'm not looking at Enoch. I'm not looking at Moses. I'm looking at, I'm not looking at Jacob. I'm not looking at Isaac. I'm looking at Abraham. Okay. So, okay, let's look, look at what it says about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, that is what the analysis is. One statement. Abraham went, not knowing how where he was going. But that is just one statement. I have to unpack it. And to see various stages in his life. And what was tested. How he was tested. And we will examine ourselves. And we will see if we have the attitudes that he had. Or we don't have them. Else if we don't have it, we'll ask God. The first thing which I want to look at is Genesis chapter 11. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled. And we know the reason because of who? Because of Papa. Papa ne bol diya, mein rog gya. Okay. Papa, Papa ji, Daddy ji, aapki agnya sar aankhum par. I, mean, I was trying to learn some Hindi from all the Hindi brothers who came from uh, from Jamshedpur. Okay. And look at look at what it's, uh, Stephen puts it in, his, in, his, in Acts chapter 7. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory Abraham uh, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from, said to him, said to, not Terah, but to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died. Until Terah dies, Nothing is going to happen to his life. You know, I found in my experience two extremes. The two extremes which I'm going to talk about today. The two extremes. One extreme where the children will say, I have to honor my father and my mother. Because it's the first commandment with a promise. Okay. Whatever my dad says goes, or what my mom says goes, or grandfather, or the head of the tribe, whatever. Whatever he says, Goes, I have to honor him. There was one guy who was like that. Who came to Jesus. He was one of the disciples who wanted to follow Jesus. Look at what he says. Matthew chapter 8 verse 21. 
Then another, another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me, let's see, first go and bury my father. You see, you know what Jesus says? Let the dead bury the dead. You know what he's saying? The call is not for your father, it is for you. And if you put your father first, you know, that is exactly how we find even in our own culture, especially patriarchal eastern cultures, where the family comes first. You know what is that popular saying in, 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 in Andhra? My inta vanta ila ledu. Khandan lip, mera khamara khandan me kabhi aisa nahi hua. Great khandan baba. God has a very nice way to say you are a brood of vipers. Great, no great. Don't say you are Abraham's children, etc. You are a brood of vipers. Acknowledge that. See, don't be proud about your pedigree. Only dogs have them. You see? Let me first go. Jesus said, all your young people are actually quiet. Do you really understand what is going on over here? You see, you need to understand something. If you do not put God first, yesterday pastor was talking about this in our men's Bible study. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength. Then the next commandment is after several steps, love your Honor your father and mother. That is how the order is. You see, you cannot obey the law at one end and break the law at the other end. You see, if you obey the law, you have to obey the law at both ends. You should first have this conviction that you have put God first and then you honor your father and mother. You see, a lot of people, they just pick and choose. You, James says, you see, if you have disobeyed in one element of the law, what has happened to you? You have broken the whole law. And people conveniently pick and choose parts of the law they want to achieve, they want to adhere to, and they conveniently forget other parts of the law. And God says, you cannot just take one part of the law and forget the other part of the law. It doesn't work that way in my kingdom. You have to apply it all the way. Look at some interesting uh, Old Testament examples. This is First Kings chapter 19 when uh, when Elijah goes to Mount <coughs> Horeb. And the Lord said to Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel, Jehu, the, as the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapat of Abel Meloah, you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. Who called Elisha? Was it Elijah's choice? No. Elisha was God's choice. And look at what happens next. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shapat, who was plowing in the t- with 12 yoke of oxen. It's interesting. So he's got 12 tractors, in other words. And he was riding one tractor. And he was with the 12th tractor. And he was directing the other tractors. That's the picture that is being uh, shown here. Elijah passed him and cast his clock- cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss principle, okay? Let me kiss my father and mother and then I will go and follow you. And he said, go back again for, read that please, for what have 
I done to you? You know what? What Elijah is telling Elisha, I did not call you. If I were you, I would not choose you. In other words, you are God's choice. Okay? So I didn't go to the committee and sit and ask second, third, fourth, who was going to second this candidate and third this candidate. I did not ask. This was God's choice. I mean, this is exactly what happens in mainland churches, no? Suddenly you will go to this youth meeting and this have this general body meeting which is going on. They will say, Vijay, get up. Uh, yes, sir, what is going on? You will be the treasurer. How many of you second it? Third it? Fourth it? Treasurer done. Hello? You didn't even ask me. You know, Elijah is telling Elisha, hey, it's not my thing to call you. It is God's call over your life. And if you want to go and kiss your father and mother goodbye, realize that I did not call you. God called you. That's just two extremes. And the other extreme. You want to see the other extreme? How many of you want to see the other extreme? Very interesting, the other extreme. This is found in Mark 7. It's found also in Mark, Matthew chapter 15. It's also found in Mark 7. This is interesting rendering in Mark 7 in the ESV translation. Look at what it says. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus answers a question with a question. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So how do you do it? Look at what he says. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have, you would have gained from me is kurban, kurban kar diya. Bhagwan ko kurban kar diya. That's the reason why in Hyderabad we have the Kurbani ka meeta. Sabi ko Kurbani ka meeta de do? Khush. Kurban? Hey! This is the other extreme. You know what he says? Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making the word of God void by your tradition. You know, you, you have gone to the other extreme wherein you think that you should not even take care of your father and mother when they grow old. See, therefore, there is a principle, you see? Principle. So you have to examine yourself today. Teraf, I mean, I mean, Abraham was subject to the Terah test. What test? The Terah test. There's one principle. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents where? Only in the Lord. And what is that? For this is right, but honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. And if they say something which contradicts the word of God or dishonors God, you have the right to disobey them, but still be honorable in your disobedience. That is the principle. And Jesus personifies that, right? That's exactly what we should see. If we have the attitude of Christ inside of us when we have been subjected to the Terah test. What does Jesus do? Matthew chapter 12, but he answered and said to those who told him, who is my mother? Who is my brother? He stretched out his hand towards his disciples. He is my mother. He is my brother. For whoever does my father, uh, the will of my father which is in heaven is my brother and my mother and my sister. Oh, clear. That is one end. He is putting my father first. 
And then comes everybody else later. But does he forget that? No. Look at what it says in John's Gospel chapter 19. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son and son, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took him home. You see how he balances the two. Do you have this about Christ inside of you? Let me ask you this question, my dear brothers and young, young uh, daughters-in-law to be. If your mother-in-law and father-in-law will come to your home when they grow old, will you, do you have the Christ in you to love them unconditionally? You know, when, the, when I saw the devotion in the morning, I was stunned. I said, Lord, it's a confirmation of your word today. How, how many of you read the devotion in the morning when it came, came on WhatsApp? Hey! Shame on you, I say. Go back home and read it. Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. You see? The Taylor test. How good are we doing in our Taylor test? Some people, I can't stand my mother-in-law. I can't stand. I can't. It's very very, uh, subtle. I can't stand your mother. Your mother. Ask yourself this question today. Daughters-in-law. Would you extend? Are they going to be your people? That is what Ruth said. Your God, my God, your people, my people. Okay. Examine yourself today. Second test. I call it the famine test. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken him and went and Lot went with him after he fails. And Abraham was 75 years old and when he departed from Haran and Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions, I put that there, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the the people whom they had acquired in Haran, okay, all their possessions, all that they had gathered and all the people that they acquired there, were at the place where they were not supposed to stop. That's the point here. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Then comes the, what comes next? The next test. Uh, God says to your descendants, I will give this land. And he built him an altar. Thank God Abraham builds altars and he comes back to the Lord whenever he messes up. But I'm looking at the next test. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Comes out of Haran. He's got all these possessions, all these people he has acquired where? At the place where he was not supposed to stop. And he comes and there is famine, there is lack. And the test comes. Famine is a test by the way. Oh, Chuck Swindle in one of his sermons, he says something about this age. He uses two interesting uh, acronyms. He says, we live in the age of dink and the oink. Okay, what is that? Dink and the oink. Two acronyms. The oink is not a pig, by the way. It's an acronym. Let me sh- tell you what those acronyms stand for. Dink stands for double income, no children. Okay, what is that? Double income, no children. So now guess by induction, what should oink stand for? 
what is that? One income, still no children. Okay. You see, we don't want people to interfere in our lives. You know, I was of the category of the dink. Double income, oh, baba. Not yet children. Okay, I didn't say no children. Not yet children. I was so, so concerned. I'm actually, I don't want to use, I'm using euphemisms. Concern is a very, very mild term. Okay. I said, and when my, when we had Abigail seven years now, and Justin made a decision, she said, I think I have to quit the job and take care of Abigail. And she, sorry, she's got a very interesting way of putting it. She says, can you just look at her, Vijay? Just look at her like that. Just look at her. Do you want to leave her with somebody? I mean, I said, Baba, but you know, double income. We come under the double income bracket. You know, I'll tell you why I was resisting that. I was saying, yes, so many other people are working. Come on, just another few more years before I settle down until I have replaced your income and put it in a fixed deposit. That's how dinks think, okay? Very want, I didn't want to graduate into one income, no children group. See? It was very difficult. And she made a decision. And she was doing a fantastic job was a tough, tough decision. And I had to, I said, Lord, and God has to test me. I'll tell you why I did not want her to quit. Honestly, at the bottom of my heart, I was used to a lifestyle. I did not want the lifestyle to come down. See, see, I didn't want that to come down. And she, she said, we'll manage. I said, come on, look at the cost of living. Economy is really go. But the problem was not the economics. The problem was the heart. You see? Heart which had so many positions which were gathered in Haran. And that has to be somehow maintained. You know, one of the things that pastor mentioned I think the wisest statement that he made on the wedding message for me to Joanne and Eric was this Eric, Joanne, keep life simple. What is that? Keep life simple and you will have no problems in your marriage. Almost to that effect. He didn't say all no, no problems. To that effect. He said use the kiss principle. Not you know not you know what what kiss stands for it's another acronym acronym keep it simple stupid principle take your life and keep it simple don't acquire possessions and you know what will happen in order for you to maintain your standard of living you will start compromising on the closest of relationships and you will not even hesitate to sell your life That is what I call the famine test. Question. In the famine test, will we put God first during famine? Ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. 
you know there's a interesting you know this very well studied it several times but i just want to draw one principle out of this genesis chapter 26 verses 1 and 2 there was a famine in the land besides the famine the first famine that was in the days of abraham and isaac went to abimelech the king of philistines in gerar then the lord appeared to him and said do not go down to egypt live in the land which i tell you to in other words just go and go okay just don't compromise and then what happens 26 Verse 12 to 13. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. I like this. <laughs> One of the most fantastic verses in the Bible. He prospered, continued to prosper until he became very, very prosperous. It's a triple superlative. And we try to look at that and think that it will be okay. And you know what God is actually saying? He says, when seed is most precious to you, Will you be willing to sow in the land of famine? In other words, will you put God first in every area of your life, especially when you're going through a bleak period in your life? I got this principle. This is a, in the New Testament, there's another lady who does this. Okay, look at this. This is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. He said, truly I say to say to you that this poor widow has put in more than you know, how, how God sees it and how we see. He has put in everything. You know what God is actually saying? And he says, you know, of course they put it from their abundance and she put it from her poverty. What does it mean? He is actually telling her lifestyle is so simple that even if she can put everything into the offering bag, she will still survive. And she has no problems in putting God first. And I'm sure some of them heard it in the temple. You know, they all hear when Jesus makes statements and they all heard it. So they make the next statement. Luke's gospel chapter 21 verse 5 onwards. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. And that's one of the things that mainline churches do sometimes. I'm not against them. One of the mainline churches which I was a part of during building project, every Sunday there is a report and they are literally spanking the congregation to mo- for money. And they will say, we'll put your name on the brick also. We'll put the name on your pew. You go to some mainline churches donated by so and so in memory of so and so. You know, that's exactly what they think. Donations. And you know what Jesus says? You see, donations. The days are coming. Not even one stone will be left. You see. Question, do we keep our life simple so that we have more to give away to God? Do we have a frugal lifestyle? See, very important, saints. We live in an age of indulgence, dink and oink, double income. To, to really go counterculture. That's going to be a test for you guys. Where you put God first. Okay, how are we doing there? In Genesis chapter 13. Thank God that he comes back. Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him to the south, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called the name of the Lord. How are you doing in the famine test, saints? Some of you are going through a test of your life. Test of your life. 
is God the God of your money? Of your time? Of your resources? Does the kingdom of God come first? Have you put everything like Jesus? No strings attached. Everything, Lord, belongs to you. The third test. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for we are brothers. Boy. And then what happens? Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. What is this test? I'll tell you what this test is. This is a test where the spiritual man serves the carnal man. That is the principle. Look at the principle. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 18 to 19. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval should be recognized. And there was strife. And those people who have God's approval, you know what they will do? They will say, okay, fine. Strife there. Let us Take the stand of Abraham where we are willing to serve the carnal man. Isn't it interesting? Remember when Esau, after Jacob has his encounter with God at Peniel and he finds the face of God and after God breaks his limb, he is running to Esau and tell me what happens before he meets Esau, he does something. What does he do? He stretches on the Okay, I mean, of, of course, he does the, the... And then what does he do? He falls flat on his face before Esau how many times? How many times? Seven times. Seven times. He just goes prostrate. It's a very fantastic number where you will see the guy who is absolutely carnal being served and honored by the guy who is who's spiritual. You, do you find this principle in the Bible? I find it everywhere. Look at what it says in John's Gospel chapter 13. This is the absolute spiritual man. And who is that absolute spiritual man? Jesus himself. This is John's Gospel chapter 13. How he serves the carnal man. Who is fighting for positions of honor and authority. This says now before the feast of the Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour had come. That he should depart from from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being entered, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon Pete, Simon's son to betray him, see everything against him. They want, one of the guys wants to kill him. Look at what he does. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. You see. You know what, and, 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 and you know what Peter makes a statement, right? What does Peter say? Lord? No, 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 no. And he says, did you see what I did? You called me master and teacher and so I am. If I then your master and teacher have washed your feet, 
we also ought to wash one another's feet. And especially if you think that you are greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you wash the feet of the carnal among you. That is a principle. You see, you need to understand, in every house there are people who are, who are being tested. And they are being tested every moment. There will be a conflict. Every home, whether it be a single new nuclear home or be a organization or be a church, every home will have conflict and in the conflict, you know what's going on? God is testing to see who is the spiritual man and who is going to be the carnal man and he sees the divisions and those who have God's approval will stand up and they will say, you know what? Let me wash the feet of the carnal man. Let me wash the feet of the carnal man. How does this, this principle work in the in our lives, in our daily lives, at work? How many of you have carnal bosses? I have one. Some of you already said, I have, for sure. I had one. You had one. See, look at what he says. First Peter chapter 2. Servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God. One endures grief wrongfully. For what credit it is if you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we might follow his footsteps. That's exactly what he did. He said, you know what? I am absolutely spiritual, but I have no qualms in washing the feet of the, of the carnal man. That's exactly what Paul says. When you have disputes about property, you go to the courts. Are you not ashamed? Don't you see Gentiles are watching you? And what will, you, what will you say if you are really a spiritual man and if there is a conflict over property, what will you say? I'll tell you the story of my mentor, Shibu. <laughs> I tell you, that man was really a man of God after he taught me so many things. There was an issue of, of property in his home. In his home. And there was one document that he had to sign because he was also one of the heirs of the property and that was against the law. And everybody in the family signed. And Shibu was very, very upset and he didn't want to do it. And the father came and he said, Shibu, come on, Shibu, everybody, you don't want the property, right? You, why don't you just sign it? And he, he came under pressure and he just signed it. After a while, his conscience was pricking him. And he understood that if he signed, he had to pay a fine of 25,000 rupees. And he was not very well off those days. And his conscience was pricking him and pricking him and pricking him. And he said, you know what? Lord, I want to have my conscience straight with you. I don't care if those guys get the property. Let them take all my property. But I don't want to have anything to do with it. He paid the 25,000 and he got himself off the property. You see, you know, you make decisions like that. People in your own household will start fearing God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. You know, because you have a different standard altogether. And there's a conflict. You said, take it and go. I don't even want it. I have mansions in heaven. How many of you have that kind of an attitude where you say, Lord, I have already made a choice. You know, the choices are not made when those, when the conflicts come, when the, cho- the choices are made today, when in your heart you have severed all ties and said, you know, Lord, Lord, I am not living for property. If there is ever a property dispute. And if the carnal man wants to have it, let him go. I want to be clear with you. 
pursue peace with all men and holiness with God. That is my motto. See, that is what the colonel does. And thank God he passed that test, right? Can you imagine how he passed the test? Not only he passed the test, you see, he goes and rescues an unthankful, ungrateful nephew. He not only rescues him, he intercedes for him. That is amazing. Okay, so how are you doing in the carnal test? In the spiritual man serves the carnal man test. Do you find Jesus Christ in you? And you say, Lord, I don't want to have anything of this world. <laughs> Where your treasure is, there your heart is. No mansions on earth, mansions in heaven. Next, Genesis chapter 16. This is a difficult test. Genesis chapter 16. This is after Abraham was given the promise. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, See now that the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded his her voice, the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. And he gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife and Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land so he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived her mistress became despised in her eyes. There is one principle you need to understand that is what we call as the law. Spiritual laws. What is the principle? The principle Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 Do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows that also he will reap. If he sows in the flesh he will reap corruption. Even if he is a spiritual man. God is not going to change it. Even if he is God's God's anointed and the most favored of God's favor is over his life. He is not going to change that law. That is the law which is you see um, you don't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity Complete the statement. Breaks you. You see, you don't break the law. The law breaks you. You see, you need to understand these are principles in the kingdom of God. So, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. Meaning, it's not happening. Let me help God. Act carnally. What it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to, to, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Principle. F.B. Meyer is a famous theologian. He made a very powerful statement in one of his books. F.B. Meyer, in his poetic best, at his poetic best, look at what he says. This is the bitterest of all to know that suffering need not have been. That it has resulted from indiscretion and inconsistency. That it is a harvest of one's own sowing. That the vulture that feeds on the vitals is a nestling of one's own rearing. Ah me, this is pain. <laughs> you see? <laughs> okay. In other words, in Telugu, you know, I'll explain it. Pamuni intlo penchukunadu. Oh, yo, in the bow and the pump, drink milk, drink milk, drink milk. 
and over a period of time that fellow has grown bigger and bigger and I've seen so many cases in the United States where people have snakes as pets pythons as pets I can't imagine you, you remember when when um, uh, Peter, uh, Paul and Silas they are in that place in, uh, in, uh, in Philippi uh, Philippi if I'm right uh, where this lady who's who's with uh, what is that spirit of spirit of divination this is a spirit of divination these are the uh, servants of the most high god listen to him the spirit of divination you know what the word divination stands for the word divination in the original greek is python the spirit of divination you know what the python is? It's one thing which coils around its its prey and slowly, it's a very painful, slow death where it crushes you gently, takes out the breath from your, your of your lungs and you die slowly. That is a python spirit. And you know what he's saying? There is inside each one of us a carnal man which was born of the devil which if you do not Kill it every day of your life. Slowly it will curl around you. Curl around you. And curl around you. And he says, the vulture which feeds on the vitals is a nestling of one's own rearing. Army. That is pain. Even in your own life, you sowed in the flesh and you are reaping a harvest. You said, oh, that pet sin, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And you okayed it and okayed it and okayed it and now you don't even have the capacity to say no because it has literally taken the life out of you slowly. It's amazing how in the United States there was one pastor who had wipers in his congregation, among in, in his church, and that wiper bit him and he died. And you know, it, it was it was news, it was national news, and the whole world is laughing at a pastor. Because you know what? They said, what kind of a stupid guy is this? And then what kind of a God are they worshipping? What kind of a God allows them to have pythons? Think about it. You know, there's, there's a huge problem in uh, Florida these days in the in the state of Florida where they've got all these pets for, python pets from uh, from Indonesia and there's huge pythons they're literally gobbling up the entire wildlife in Florida Florida and they have to bring snake catchers from 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 India to catch all the pythons there it's it's you have called them as pets in your own homes and you think it's going to it's it's they're going to be pets python is going to be a pet have you seen the movie anaconda have you seen Anaconda? I mean, have you seen an Anaconda live on National Geographic? How deadly it is? Boy, and you think it's going to be okay? That's what he's saying. Then he says, he continues, there is an inevitable nemesis in life. <laughs> you have a nemesis in your own heart. The loss of the heart and home of the soul and human life cannot be violated with impunity. Sin may be forgiven, but the consequence will follow. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. 
He was nestling a vulture in his own home. And 6,000, almost 5,000 years later, the still consequences of his actions are being experienced by the entire world. You know, isn't it interesting? When there was something going on in Rebecca's stomach, womb, sorry, not stomach. So she goes to God and says, what is going on, Lord? What does God say? Exactly, two nations, two nations. Boss, you thought it was only a child who's going to be born. It's going to be a nation which is going to be a thorn in your flesh. A nation which is a product of your own nestling. Which is going to feed on your vitals. That is a spiritual principle saying that you cannot escape, my dear brothers and sisters, things of the flesh. Oh my dog, you you know your weakness. Stay accountable, stay in the church. One brother came and asked me, he said, uh, Vijay, how do you manage to uh, to not give in to the flesh? You know, especially when you have arguments at home, you know what I say? I rehearse the consequences. And I, you know, you, you want to get into an argument and you know where it is leading. This, if you win, you lose. You understand that, right? This goes to the next step, and the next step, and the next step, and the next step, and the next step. You know, it's deterministic, nothing random in, in the kingdom of God. You go to that step, and you ask yourself this question, do, you, do I want to be there? And then you back-calculate. No, 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 it's not worth it now. Rehearse the consequences of your decisions before you make them, my dear brothers and sisters. Rehearse the consequences of if I take up this job, what will happen to my spiritual life? Rehearse the consequences of that decision. If this happens, you know, God has given us a brain and some wisdom. If I take this career, what will happen to me? If I take this, if I take this job, what will happen to me? If I marry this person, what is going to happen to me? God has clearly showed us what is going to happen to you. Every scenario possible. If you seek him, you will find him. Rehearse the consequences and see if you really want to be in that condition. You see, when a spiritual man acts carnally, God is not going to say, okay, he is my Abraham. I will let him go. No. Even for his own son, he is not going to let that go. See, one of the one of the consequences of especially sexual sin, which is like the most powerful in this generation. Proverbs chapter 5. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. This is talking about, talking to the children who is from the, from the adulterous woman. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near her house, lest you give your honor to others, and your ears to the cruel one. You will, you will have wasted your life. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. And you mourn at last when you, when you, when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was in the verge of total ruin in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. Irrevocable consequences of sexual sin. Irrevocable consequences. Make a decision before today, today. That was a test that Abraham failed miserably. But you know what? Abraham is going to fail. Jesus is going to win. 
He understood this. If I sow in the flesh, God is not going to make it easier for his own son. He came under the law. He was born under the law. Born of a virgin. He was subject to the law. And he understood the consequences of every every action that he was going to take. And therefore, you know what he did? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries, cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, reverent submission, other translations. This is how a spiritual man, if you really have the Christ in you, you will say, Lord, lead me not into temptation. That is one of the prayers that pastor keeps on praying with us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one every day of my life. Lord, help me. Because I don't know. I don't, I'm not strong. I don't, I, I don't have any confidence in my flesh. I don't want to subject myself to tests willfully. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Arm yourself, Lord. I'm make, you know, these decisions about your careers, your people whom you're going to marry, everything is made today. Not on the day when, you get, when you're going to get tested. Not on those days. Now, the decisions are made now. About your value systems, everything is made now. Not then. You see? And finally, final test. Genesis chapter 22. That's the pinnacle of Abraham, right? Thank God. No, thank God that Abraham, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those whom he has called. Thank God. It is not because we are so great and because we were so righteous that God called us. Thank God. He's patient with us. Verse 3 onwards, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. Where? Which day? On the third day. You see? Third day. It's a figurative sense. In the figurative sense. And Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Ah, uh, he was not, that was not wishful thinking, my dear brothers and sisters. This is this guy who has been tested and who has been proven by God. Where he is now willing to put everything on the altar, even something which was closest to him, which was of God. What I call the making of a worshipper. Everything on the altar. Everything. You know, one of the reasons why we fear is because we have not given everything to the Lord. You know it. Everyone knows every area where we have surrendered and we have not surrendered. You know it. Everybody knows. At least intuitively to a certain level, you know it. Genesis chapter 22. Then they came to the place of which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the order, in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Oh, I, I, you know, whenever I uh, read this and I say, Lord, you know something, God 
is someone who is so interested in every one of our lives. When he documents the life of the heroes in the Bible, he puts everything naked about their life so that you and I will have hope. You see, that is incredible about God. There was this one uh, uh, king in, um, I'm not sure exactly his name, one English emperor. Uh, he was a very nice guy. He was he was he was uh, popular with the people, and uh, he was so popular. One day, they said, uh, "We want to make make your make your portrait. We want to you know those days we want to make a portrait." Uh, he said, "You want to make my portrait?" He said, "Yeah, yeah. We want to make your portrait." And you know what he said? He said, "You know what? When you make my portrait, show everything that is in my face: the dots, the blunts, the eyes, the squint, everything. Show." As it is, don't hide anything. Only if you do that, I will agree for a portrait. Otherwise, no. You see, when people want to talk about somebody, you know how they nicely whitewash them and say, Modi Sarkar Zindabad. You see? But when he, this, this man said, you know what? Everything. That's exactly how God does. He puts the portrait just away with all their negatives and their failures and their failings. And yet the work of God in their lives. That's amazing. So, then they came and placed Abraham, built on, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And you know the story, he was stopped. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide as it is this, as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's exactly what he did. You know how God was able to work in Abraham's life because God did it for Abraham in that he said, you know what? I'm going to send my son. He's going to die for you. He's going to take a sin upon him, upon, upon himself. He's going to take the curse upon himself. He's going to take your poverty upon himself. He's going to take your sickness upon himself. So that once he has done that work, you can be a complete worshiper. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. One of my favorite verses. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amazing. Another place. Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For as it is, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verses 8 and 9. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you may become rich. And Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 5. Therefore what should you do? And not only as we had hoped, give yourselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You see, when you have experienced the forgiveness of God, you see, when Abraham was asked this question, offer your son, he never argued. He never argued with God because he understood. For his sin, somebody had to die. Because those days, the firstborn represented the sin of the family. That's exactly what happened in Egypt. 
In every Egyptian house, two deaths took place. Either the firstborn representing the sin of the family died, or there was a lamb which died in the place of the firstborn. So Abraham never argued. He said he understood, Lord, all the sins and the mistakes I have committed, Lord, somebody has to pay for it. And when you asked him, I know that I cannot argue with you, but I know, Lord, intuitively somehow you will provide. You know what God did? He did provide the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world so that we can be made true worshippers like Abraham. That is the reason why we come to this table every month. Every month. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice. No, we don't have any other confidence. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in our flesh. That's exactly what Abraham did. It submitted everything on the altar and he said, Lord, all that I have, I give to you. Because Lord, you gave everything to reconcile me back to yourself. This morning, even as we come to the table, I just want to encourage each one of you. How are we doing in the Lord's test? How are we doing in the parents test? In the famine test? Dealing with carnal believers test. I'll tell you something about carnal things, okay? You will be tested, I'll tell you. In my own life, I know, in my own home, my, my, my children test me and I go to GTL and say, students test me. And out of frustration so many times, they say, what is this? Let me tell you something. Children are there to test you. It's about you, not about them. It's about you and not about them. You see, so many, I mean, I'll tell you, so many people who work in, 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 in organizations, in, in NGOs and in other organizations and orphanages, they get frustrated. Let me tell you, when you're getting frustrated, God is testing you. It is not about those people whom you are mentoring or teaching. It is about you. It is about you. Whether you will humble yourself and say, Lord, you know what? It doesn't matter how much, how much you are patient with me, Lord. I will also be patient with them. You see, how are we doing in serving the carnal people? How are we doing in that test? Do we find Jesus in us? Do you examine yourself every day in your life? And how are we doing in our sin test? And how are we doing in offering everything on the altar when Jesus gave everything. This morning, even as we come to the Lord, let's examine it. spend a few moments examining ourselves. You have heard the word this morning. The word of God is always good. It's always to give us a hope. And especially for the young one sitting over here who is yawning. Remember, you have the greatest hope. Because you still haven't committed any of the blunders of Abraham. Yet you know the truth of Abraham. That's why scripture says, it's blessed to serve the living God in the days of your youth. Because you can learn from the mistakes of the ones who have gone before. Pastor Vijay was teaching us of the tests. It's one test with which comes consequences. The first test, he lost a few years. Second test, maybe a few months, everything was restored. Every one of those tests, you will see there is restoration. One test, 
consequences will follow till today there was no way he could escape the consequences of that test think for a minute when he had to throw ishmael out that father is standing by the doorway of his tent watching his eldest son walk away he's been sent away and he cannot call him back listen to the cry of abraham sorry david absalom absalom i wish i had died in your place that's why young one sitting over here don't make that decision of that flesh specifically jay said decisions are made now it's not made on that day it's made now your purpose in your heart now i will not be yoked with an unbeliever you make it now so that when you go a day to your college to your workplace and when they make those beautiful eyes and pull those chairs for you and talk so kindly and give you flowers for your birthday you will have written in your heart i will not yoke myself with an unbeliever doesn't matter how attractive she or he is decisions are made now otherwise consequences follow young ones that's what i have to tell you be wise the word of god makes one wise okay but god is a god of hope he made many goofups but god calls abraham my friend jacob made many mistakes but he finishes well but the models we are always put forward in the bible for young people is not abraham it's not even isaac or jacob it's always joseph and daniel two models were kept so young ones sitting over here pick your model from joseph and from daniel and say lord i have purpose in my heart to honor you and to obey you here is love as as the ocean love in
of you are kind of recent to the church those who are here for years you know the way the pulpit functions the word you hear functions see when people come to church usually they come with a problem and is looking for a solution and often we do not cater to your problem instead we have often tried to lead you to the problem solver. You can either have a solution to your problem or you can have God. And to know God, all these messages, you would see, its power lies in the application. Because when you apply it, scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When Jesus walked on earth for 33 and a half maybe years, starting with his parents down to his chosen apostles, everybody experienced him differently. They didn't experience him in the same way. Not even his 12 apostles experienced him in the same way. Experience is not the same. Even among the apostles, there were three apostles alone who experienced him differently. These three, he selectively took with him to certain places. He didn't take the others with him. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, only three, these three, were blessed to see him as he was. Peter, James and John, these three. So remember, experience is not the same. God would love to have everybody have the same experience. But he leaves it to us. And all the messages you hear, the application of it lies its power. The days will only go more and more difficult. Life will be full of problems. Job will say, as the sparks go up, so is a man's life to trouble. Troubles are not going to go away. God shouldn't be far away. The whole purpose of the teaching of the word of God is not that we become knowledgeable. It's that we really know God and experience God more and more. Because the Bible is all about relationships. The cross talks about relationship. God has restored relationship with God and man. 
and God restores through Christ relationship with man and man. And it's only possible through the cross. The cross is not something which you wear on your neck. It is an instrument of torture to the carnal man. Guard your relationships. One of the best ways to guard your relationship is guard your lips. Like he said, rehearse. What? The word is interesting in English, rehearse. If you take the re off, what do you have? Hurts. You know what a hurts is? As soon as a dead body goes. A lot of people have dead stuff stinking in their lives, all of us, because we did not rehearse if we went this way where we would reach. So we ended up with hearses. Think the consequences. It's good to think. Two things I tell in the church. Two things destroys a man or a woman. One is lack of knowledge, ignorance. Ignorance is terrible. If you do not know the truth, you will be destroyed simply because of the lack of truth. And second is indiscipline. You need both. Knowledge and discipline. Okay? Knowledge and discipline. Get this both in and order your lives. Okay? God doesn't give discipline. You have to work at it. You have to acquire knowledge. You have to acquire knowledge, especially of the word of God. Really, really, knowledge, understanding, Wisdom is in the application, but it begins with knowledge. So don't yawn when you hear the word of God. Ask God, let me understand what Pastor Vijay is talking to me. Can you imagine a five-year-old Samuel understood everything God told him? Five or six-year-old. And could come and repeat it to the prophet, the priest the next day. This is what the Lord said. He understood. He understood understood. To the men I was saying yesterday, the population of the Jewish population is less than 1% of the entire world population. Less than 1%. But do you know what a believing Jew does when his wife conceives? As soon as his wife conceives, a believing Jew starts reading the Torah to that baby. All the days of his life. So that his mind is framed by the word of God. That is why even today, 75% of the Nobel laureates are Jews. Not because of their skills in the secular place. It's because their minds were framed by God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not a dot from this word. If you want your child to get a Nobel Prize, (laughs) teach him the word of God. Teach him the word of God. You know, we've spent thousands and thousands and millions sometimes educating our children in skills. I yet have to find a parent who engaged a tutor to teach his child the word of God. That's why God says we honor him with our lips hearts are far. That's why we make it a point to see that you all come here on Wednesday. We provide you the transport, the driver and the fuel. Better come here and sit down and listen. Even if you have exams on Thursday, I don't personally care. Wednesday night, 
Listen to the word of God. Thursday you will do well. You will do well in life. Don't worry. He who has the word has God. And if you have God, you have to fear nothing and nobody in life. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you. I just thank you. I just thank you. I just thank you, Lord. You do not test us that we may fail. You test us that you may approve of us. Help us to see you as our Father. The most loving Father. You will never allow a test that is beyond our strength to bear. You will never leave us alone in our test. Through all our tests, you will be there beside us. You have promised us that. And I pray, Father, in the light of the word that we have heard today, no one will struggle to pass this test in their own strength because it is not possible. But they will lean on to your strength. And I pray, Father, we will guard our heart, guard our thoughts, guard our words, because relationships, O oh Lord, are built or broken by the words ultimately we speak. For it would take a lifetime to build a relationship which can be broken by one word. Three and a half years of ministering, mentoring, and anointing. Judas lost it in one word when he went to the Jews and said, what will you give me for selling him out? Once it was spoken, he couldn't take it back. Teach us. Teach us to think deeply before we speak. Think deeply before we react to our circumstances so that we see our life and our situations as ordered by you. That you are in control and you have allowed these things. And if it is because we sowed in the flesh, I pray we see sowing. Start repenting. Start changing. We may not be able to change the consequences, but we will definitely have the strength from above to bear the consequences. And still finish our race well. Pray your children. All of us will go from your house, determine in our heart to lean on to you, to your understanding, to your strength, and choose not only to please you, but a day when we will be able to satisfy you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Just commit the rest of the day, the rest of the month into thy hands, and we pray, Father, teach us to walk before you. And to be blameless in your sight. 
I pray, Father, that you would bless your people. You would meet them at their point of need. That you would cover them, protect them. And we would pray what you asked us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the power of the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, O Lord. Now by faith, O Lord, we just lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.